This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast. We're on episode 158, and on this week's episode, I was joined by Carl Kasuth from Tethered. And Carl is the chief designer from Tethered, and this one was a fun one to record because out of all the relationships that I've been blessed with since we really started this journey, Carl is one that happened spontaneously, and we actually quickly mentioned that in this episode and talk about it, but we also dive into when Carl got the bug to shoot with the longbow and his passion for that over the last 20 plus years, and this was a really fun conversation because we haven't explored that kind of side of things yet when it comes to archery on the podcast, so that was really fun and after re-listening to it i really got the bug to maybe fiddle around with one this spring not do anything with it regarding hunting by any means but just to kind of mess around with one for sure and also we cover carl's successful 2022 season and really what led to that success and we dove down some in-season scouting techniques that carl really focuses on to put himself really in the best position to kill a buck and this episode also wouldn't be complete if we didn't discuss some gear and he shared information regarding the new tethered lockdown saddle that will be releasing uh, early summer and we really for myself i can't wait to try this one out at the great american outdoor show in harrisburg uh, just as a kind of the test run there as well to see that one but here also what carl's most proud of when it comes to developing gear for tethered i man in general i hope you enjoy this one Thanks again for listening and all the support. And also, if you're heading to the Great American Outdoor Show, make sure you stop by to Tether Boots. Say hello to those guys. I'll be there on both weekends, uh, the first weekend as well as the last weekend as well. I'm going to try to get to the Go Wild booth as well. So thank you again, everybody, for all the support. See you next week. Antler up. And speaking of Go Wild, Mountain Tough and Go Wild did a cool partnership where they are having a challenge from now until February 5th. So really, if you go and join Go Wild and Mountain Tough communities for a free 30-day workout plan designed to get you in shape for turkey season called the Go Wild Challenge. No equipment needed. Just go download, sign up, and let everybody know in the Go Wild post that you're joining. Then each time you work out, tag Go Wild and Mountain Tough to hold yourself accountable. Check this out because it's a really, really cool thing. Like I mentioned before, I've done Mountain Tough in years prior, even getting out to Utah, really enjoy that program. actually need to get my shit together and continue to get on back on that. So check out Go Wild, Mountain Tough, what they have going on. Also, really cool UTV giveaway that's happening now as well. I'll go over that more next week, but check out the UTV giveaway along with the Mountain Tough Go Wild partnership. Also, if you're going to be at the Great American Outdoor Show, check those guys out. The Pennsylvania chapter of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is going to be at the Great American Outdoor Show at booth 4707 in the Outfitter Hall. 
this is going to be a great chance for you to get a, get to meet these people that go out and advocate for public hunting and fishing lands here in Pennsylvania. Some really awesome people that I've had the chance to get to know over the last couple years. So if you're there, these ideals resonate with you. Join them there at the outdoor show. Uh, they talk about the fight for Sunday hunting as well as some advocating projects, again, to help us uh, for our public land hunting and fishing lands here in Pennsylvania. So, and also on Friday, February 10th, they're going to be at the Appalachian Brewing Company after the outdoor show for their annual backyard bash with special guest BHA president and CEO Lantani. So to find more about what they have going on or to RSVP for some of these events, check out their Facebook, their Instagram, as well as www.backcountryhunters.org backslash Pennsylvania. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tether produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. <laughs> nice hat. <laughs> <laughs> what a coincidence it's funny because i'm sure you're like me you probably have oh i don't know 40 hats sitting yep. up on your shelf and you go in in the morning and you're like okay which one am i gonna wear today yep what are the odds right yep <laughs> that's fine that is good well that's what um yeah, yeah. my wife and i we just got home from my daughter staying the afternoon with my in-laws right now, but uh, she had a basketball game. This is game two for her in the season, and uh, it's just funny watching third and fourth grade little girls just uh, try to play basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my daughter did that uh, upward basketball uh, at least one one season, I think. And yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. Even even the tall ones, none of them are very graceful at that age. It's it's kind of comical. It is, and that's I I think we'll have probably one season in there, and that's probably what it'll end up being one season. Yeah, yeah. But no, man, that's that's good. We um, I appreciate you coming on, Carl. And I don't want to. We could kind of get right into it. I will. I already hit already hit record, but uh, we're gonna just dive down. Uh, rabbit holes and see where we go and and have fun with it all right sounds good man <laughs> all right everybody so we're back we have another episode going on right now i got a good friend of mine someone that i really uh am very very happy that uh not only do i get a chance to, to work with carl uh at shows and events and do awesome things like that but someone that i i could actually call a friend and uh he's he's even though he probably doesn't know it, he's done a lot for me and, and I appreciate everything that he's done. So Carl, thank you so much for, for coming on the show, man. No, man, I'm happy, happy to be here. And, uh, yeah, uh, you and I have become, uh, pretty good friends, I think, uh, yeah. since, since we kind of accidentally ran into each other. What was I trying to do? I was, I was trying to lowball you on a compound bow, wasn't I? Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I, I, I love telling that story because I was trying to sell my, my prime Nexus 
and I was it no, it was the black. It was it was a black three. And you're like, hey, would you take some tethered gear or some saddle hunting? And I already had everything up to that point. And right, uh, right. and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of like on the pro staff or pro whatever you guys would call it, and helping out. And you're like, yeah, I have no idea. Taylor runs that all that, and we just had right. we and then we met, and then we just started. I called you, and we just started. We hit it off, which was just so <laughs> just yeah. so funny. How that yeah, kind of it was, it was pretty funny though. Yeah, how you how you uh, have just random encounters with people and and it's you know even with all the social media and everything, it really is a small world. Because I had like I, said, I had no idea that you were even involved with us at that point. Yep. You know, like you said, Taylor Taylor handles all that stuff. So yep. yeah, it's well, funny. That's because you're the chief designer. Like you you you're the madman. You're the the mad scientist when it comes to the tether products. That's why. Uh, I, I tell you what, man, it's, yeah, that, that's, that's my deal. Um, but, uh, it's, it keeps me busy all the time. It really <laughs> does. Uh, it's, it's, uh, Greg, he, he's always, uh, he has this uh, saying, you can't, um, you can't schedule inspiration yep. or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And that's so true. You know, you'll, you know, we'll be going through the year or whatever, um, doing shows and whatnot. And all of a sudden, like me, Greg and Ernie, or me and Taylor, any of us, any of the team, you know, we'll be talking about something and the juices get flowing. People start getting excited. And next thing you know, we've got a a concept of something to do and we're off to the races. Yeah, I, I noticed that really because I've seen you kind of talk to people and see you work and see how your brain kind of your attention to detail goes. And then over the summer when I was out in Montana with Taylor and Greg, this was kind of the first event that I've worked with those two together and just seeing putting pieces together of, hey, this is how I would run this and this is what I would do and just listening to them and seeing their the way their minds work is totally like, yeah. it's, it's the same as yours, but totally different. And if that makes sense of, cause you know, it's, it's a tether has come from kind of bunch of group of guys doing DIY, DIY stuff and boom, there you go. And tether was formed, you know? So yeah. that's, that's the yeah, really cool take, part piece about it. Yeah. I mean, you, you use Taylor and, and Jared there um, as examples, you know, it's, that's the cool thing about tethered as a company and you know the people that make up tethered is that everyone is really really good at their skill set you know like you know jared from that media side of things he just sees things that i won't you know that's not what i do that's not where my brain lives it's not where i operate taylor he's the business mind you know behind so many things and like i'm like dude just keep it <laughs> anything to do with that you know yep but yeah you put all that together and there you go. We have tethered. Yeah, that's so. awesome. I like it. Here's a question for you, Carl. When did, now that the season's over, well, let me, this was another question I wanted to ask you, like, cause now I know how busy you are, right? The season's over hunting, you know, no longer mm-hmm. going out in the woods, chasing whitetails or whatever you, you go after right in the fall. What, what do you do? Like, what are your, like, where do you every day kind of go down into the lab and kind of, or kind of what it, what is your now quote unquote, I don't want to say nine to five, but like what are things that you're doing now and whether it be for tethered or outside of tethered? Well, um, well outside of tethered, I always got stuff going on. It seemed that, you know, I am married, have kids. <laughs> there's a honeydew list. Yep. You know, there's, there's projects. I'm still 
living in a house that's not completely dead. <laughs> you know, this has been a four-year project, four-year plus. Um, but no, as far as, as far as Tethered is concerned, um, for me personally, I think probably for everybody, but I know for me, um, this be, this is probably the busiest time of, of the year for me. Um, I know a lot of people uh, will try to contact me and, and, you know, let's, you know, take some time, talk about this. I get a lot in a day with a lot of questions, especially after season, you know, uh, but it's, it's the time that I'm the busiest because I am uh, ATA is kind of the kickoff, I guess, okay. for everything, but it's, it's where we're really starting to fine tune new products, um, you know, development of new products, uh, a lot of brainstorming. Everybody's trying to get the show season going too. That's a huge thing, you know, cause now we're kicking that off. Um, you know, we've got, a uh, we've got, we've got Harrisburg coming up weeks, and, yep. and, uh, it just, it just starts, it starts snowballing at that point. Um, now luckily I'm not on, I'm not in charge of the show circuit anymore. I still go to some of them, but that's not like on my plate anymore. I'm just strictly prototype and design. So, yeah, it's, I will say it's, uh, you mentioned nine to five. Uh, it can be difficult sometimes um, scheduling your day, uh, trying to get into a rhythm of, of uh, time management, I guess. It's, yeah. it, it is a challenge uh, sometimes whenever you're, you're kind of in the position that we all are with Tethered. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I'm in the shop a lot, a whole lot. And, uh, it just, it just depends on what's going on. I might be just doing a little bitty, you know, mods and a little bitty, uh, tweaks and stuff like that. Like I was just out there. I was almost like getting up here just tweaking some, um, some templates for the new lockdown saddle, you know, and making a couple of adjustments there. Uh, you know, I fly out to North Carolina on, on Monday and, uh, handling some, some business out there. And then it's just, it's all over the place. So it is kind of hard to schedule it day by day. Um, but I guess like when it comes, when the inspiration hits, yeah, I'm in that shop, man. Like, like whenever, whenever the, uh, I was building the first, uh, fast pack prototypes, I built three of them out there and you know, these are the first three. And we obviously made some refinements to it after then, but, uh, man, I was out there for just, I, I mean, 14, 15, 18 hours, days, you know, sometimes I, I, I'd finish up, you know, working when I was working on, I look down and it's three in the morning, right. you know, the same thing, whenever those juices start flowing and you're going, you can, at least for me anyway, there is no punch out time. There's no clock out time. Yep. You just go. There's that lightning in the, um, you, there's that lightning in the bottle and you, once that lightning stuck in there, yeah. you just got to let it keep going in and, and don't let yeah. it out. <laughs> and the problem with me personally is I got a little ADD, you know, going on mm -hmm. and my shop's an absolute disaster zone. There <laughs> is webbing and fabric and buckles and just Kydex, just everything you can imagine is, is just scattered. It was like somebody just took an army surplus store and just set a grenade <laughs> off in it basically, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's a, uh, it's a mess. And what I find myself doing is I'll be working like very diligently on Oh, a new legitimate product. And I go from the bar tack machine and I walk around the table and I'm going over to my other machine. And then I see something on the counter on my, on my, on the, on the workbench, a, a buckle or, or just something stupid and bam, new idea, new tweak to something that already exists. 
And before I know it, I go out there to work on one thing and three hours later, I'm working on five different things, right. you know, and, and then whenever you're highly caffeinated as well, it just becomes a problem. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, you know, what's so funny about that is my brain, it works very similar because I could be in the car with my family and I know, say we're coming home from visiting family, wherever it be. And if I have that idea, like I want to tweak something on my bow or try something out, I have to, it's so hard for me to not be like, okay, let's let's read a book or let's do this. Like I immediately walk in the door and I want to come downstairs and start working on that. That's just how my personality mm -hmm. is and my brain works. And I can't like, I needed to swap out new strings the other day and my wife was getting my daughter ready for, for dance class. And I was just like, Hey, I'm, I'm down here. And you know what I mean? It was just, I'm just so fixated on that one thing. So I can only imagine times probably a hundred for you because this is, you know, like you said, you have that army surplus just exploded all over your work area. So yeah, that's because I, yeah. that's why I think too, you and I get along the way we do, because we do have similar personalities in that, in that side of things and just want things a certain way. So that was a question I wanted to ask just because I'm like that. And I know you are very similar in that side of things. And yeah, I just, yeah. And a lot of people, and a lot of people don't realize that either too, you know, like people might think like, Oh yeah. Like here's what Carl just comes up with this stuff. But like, where, like you could be somewhere the most random spot and have that idea hit, hit you. And it's like, okay, I want to, now you have to go work on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's, um, it is, a, it's truly a double-edged sword. And like I said, I, I'm a little OCD, but it's funny because my shop's a disaster. Like that's fine. Yep. But like whenever I'm, I'm tweaking what we're doing, I'm very, very meticulous about that type of stuff as far as, far as our products and whatnot. But yeah, um, it is a double-edged sword. I may be, out with the family or whatever and i'm trying to be there trying to be present but i'm not i'm like i'm it's just you know it's going all the time and uh i think i've mentioned this to you before um i love driving like mm -hmm. i love uh, unless it's a long ways i won't fly i'll drive i'll hop in susan and and off we go yeah and i am i have such um i have so much it's just the juices get get flowing. I'm kind of in, a, in my comfort zone, in my own silent, in my own mind, no distractions. Um, and I've some of my my best ideas have come on I seventy. Wasn't that isn't <laughs> that is, isn't that where where the Phantom was you know originated? Where you were just driving? Yeah, actually, funny story there. Um, we had gone to. Uh, it was the very first ATA show. It was ATA 2018. Me and Greg and Ernie were there. Actually, that's that's where we first met in person as far as me meeting Greg and Ernie. We didn't have a booth or anything. We were just kind of going around. Um, uh, you know, the, the Mantis was kind of a thing at that point. But we were, we were going around and we were just looking for uh, industry people to, to hook up with and try to, um, you know, as far as uh, production and, 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 you know, supplier, that type of thing. And so we, we did that again, didn't even have a booth or anything. And so I'm driving home and I'm still a full-time cop at this point, right. you know, and I'm, so I'm, I'm driving home. I'm somewhere in between Indy and St. Louis. And I started already thinking about what can I do to make this mantis better? And by the time I got home, um, I already had the idea for the phantom and I, I literally, I got home and I went downstairs and I started making the first prototypes of the phantom.
So it's kind of how it goes. That's amazing. When, so like you, you just mentioned like 2018, you go to ATA, you're still full-time cop at that time, at that point, which I still love those stories from last year at Harrisburg. I, I just, some of the, the stuff that you fill me in on. Cause that's like, I love those type of stories. But before I go squirrel there, when did you think like I could possibly one day give up being a cop and pursue this full time? Well, I'd been wanting to um, since I'd met Greg and Ernie, okay. you know, and, and since we started, uh, since Tethered was born, um, you know, and you've heard, the, most people have heard the story from Ernie and stuff that him and Val were, you know, Tethered was kind of taken off and him and him and Val were having a conversation, you know, that somebody was going to have to quit their job or Tether wouldn't, wouldn't make it, you know, so yeah. uh, Ernie was the first one to quit as a, as a mechanical engineer. And then Greg was next. Um, you know, he was a full-time captain in the army. And then uh, I came along. I went full-time, I believe, uh, September one of two thousand nineteen. Okay, was whenever I went full uh, full-time. Yeah. yeah, man, that's so cool. Because because you just wonder, like, like, have, were you always doing your own stuff and creating that type of ordeal? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the most part, ever since I was, you know, I learned how to sew in seventh grade home mech, and I just kind of it just kind of stuck, you know, and I had, now I had a stint in the military. Uh, you know, I was in the military for five years, bounced around the world a couple of times, um, was kind of out of the hunting game and outdoor game. I mean, not outdoors, but I was out of the hunting game for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, and then, you know, came home, lots of construction stuff. And I've always been a tinker. I've always torn stuff apart, trying to make things better, you know? And, um, I, I really have to give a lot of credit to uh, a buddy of mine, his name is BJ Hansen, and he lives just in the next town over. And him and I uh, kind of connected on on the rock slide form, uh, and we started building um, ultralight mountain sh- backpacking shelters, you know that type of stuff. And we got busy, and he he kind of brought me into it, and uh, so I started sewing again, and then one thing led to another, and you know I was. Uh, I discovered, uh, you know, saddle hunting on accident. I knew it was, well, I knew it was around, but I just never really got into it or anything. And it was the end of the 2000, uh, let's see what, 2017 season, I guess. And, uh, I, I was, I had hunted off the ground most of that year because I was tired of packing tree stands around and, you know, lock-ons and whatnot. and, And I just hunted off the ground most of the year. I remember I came home or I was at home just a few days after season. I go to Google, you know, Google knows everything, right? <laughs> I go there and I, I typed in, I typed in whatever it was, um, newest ultralight tree stand setups. I was just, and I hit images. I was going to see what was there and I hit images. And of course there's some tree stands there and about four lines down, there's a picture of a saddle there. And I look at it and it was, it was an arrow hunter kestrel. I was like, Oh, okay. I've never, I've, I've heard about these. And so I was already sewing quite a bit of stuff at that point. You know, I was doing the shelters and, and, um, you know, just, just simple stuff, miscellaneous stuff, you know, pack modifications, pouches, pockets, all that stuff, fixing my own clothes. If I tore them, that type of thing. And, uh, so I saw that and I thought, I bet I can make one of those. And I, and so I was looking at it and, you know, then next thing you know, I'm led to the saddle hunter form and everything. And they had a DIY type, thread and so i worked on there for a while and then finally decided i'm gonna make one of these 
I think I can make something similar that I can use. And I decided to do a, a build along basically on the saddle hunter form. And, and uh, so I did took photos and of the process, the materials, the whole thing, and did little uh, you know, paragraphs under each photo and kind of saying what I was doing. And uh, unbeknownst to me, Greg and Ernie had already met at the first saddle Palooza. And so they were, they, they had already decided, Hey, let's, let's start a saddle hunting company. And, uh, the, the, the basic premise of it, how it originated was Ernie was going to be in charge of the platform and Greg was going to be in charge of the saddle. And so they kind of, were going to do it that way. And so next thing you know, Greg's contacted me cause he saw my, your work, my, my photos. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, Hey, would you be interested in doing some prototyping? And I'm like, okay. You know, so, uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that easy, man. That easy. But that's that's how good things happen, and that's that's so cool. I love it. But it, like again, just because some people, like you knew, like after getting a chance to be on there and going through, like okay, like after you had a chance to meet them, like this could be a full time thing, and and like you said, like one of one of them needed to to, to take that chance first, and. Look, right. look where it's going. And just because I think a lot of individuals that would like to start either a company or try something new, I always just go with the your gut feeling or you, you look at that pro con list and just see what is okay for my family. But sometimes you just got to go for it, right? You have to take those, those chances. You, you know, um, you do there. I mean, there's a saying, um, can't never did anything, mm -hmm. you know, and it's so true. Um, if, if you don't take a risk, sometimes you don't, sometimes things fall into your lap, mm -hmm. you know, like it kind, of, it kind of fell into my lap as far as, you know, it was just, just pure luck that my timing on building that, pro, that, that, that DIY saddle and Greg and Ernie wanted to start a saddle. That was pure luck that we all kind of were in the right place at the right time. But, you know, I had a stable career, mm -hmm. all the, you know, benefits and all that stuff. And, um, deciding, you know, my wife, Kathy and I, we had many, many talks. Sometimes they turn into heated, heated <laughs> discussions, you know, uh, cause I'm wanting to bail out of the cop world in a bad way. And, but yeah, it, it was, um, it, we all took risk. Yeah. All of us did in one, one form or fashion, you know, and, uh, it's, it, it worked out. But I think, I think if you, if you don't ever put yourself out there, you're just going to be stuck in that rut. Yep. You know, yep. and, and, uh, that's the, that's the only, truly the only way that you're going to, you're, you're going to, you know, be able to succeed in something like that. And, and I've got a little thing that I tell myself all the time, especially whenever I'm trying to make something new, uh, you know, you just got to be better than the best guy out there. And, and I, it's just, it's hard to follow that every day. I'm human. I'm not a robot, you know, but, uh, it's just, uh, yeah, just do the best you can and just sometimes you just got to buck up and step out there. Yeah. So. So, so you mean you actually bleed? You're not just mechanical like the Terminator, like from what I thought. What I <laughs> no, I, no, I am not. Fortunately, some of the guys that I work with think I am. <laughs> hey, man, can you move this out for me real quick? Or, hey, can you modify this or that? And I'm like, ah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think, uh, I don't know how many times 
when you were would be a little bit active on certain specific little uh, Facebook groups and of showing some things that you've done, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's gonna yeah. open up a can of worms when he posts this. And then of course it would be like a hundred <laughs> comments yeah. deep of like, could I send you this? Could you do this? I was like, oh man, it was. Yeah, yeah. There's you know, and I'm I'm pretty inactive now on those <laughs> on those pages. I'm just kind of like I'm just I'm out, guys. You yep. know because. I, and you know, it was, uh, I'm very blessed with what I'm able to do, yep. you know, and I, I've come to understand that there's not, you know, percentage wise, there's not a ton of people that have that type of skill set. So I do not take it for granted at right, all. Right. Um, but what I was, what I always tried was trying to do when I was doing those mods, whether it was first like clothing or different packs or whatever on those pages is I wanted to show these guys, Hey, you can do, do this. this. Yeah. You know, you can totally do this. And, um, it's not like you're out there trying to be an Olympic athlete, you know, cause you know, this is, I'm sitting behind a sewing machine, you know, you can learn anything on YouTube. Yep. And you know, I, I just, I always like trying to show people, um, you know, guys that, you know, are gear junkies and like to modify, modify stuff that are, or, or guys that have ideas, but they're just, they, they don't have the, they don't think they can do it. Right. Hell with that. You yeah. can do it, yeah. you know, and, and look, here you go. Yep. You know, I, I always try to do that as encouragement and um, just uh, showing guys, you know, just a little showing to tell what, what's capable, you know, out of your own basement or garage. Yeah. You know, that's a perfect analogy because not everybody has those, you know, fast twitch muscle fibers and that these amazing athletes can do. But like you said, everybody could learn how to sew and, and make modifications. If you have that thought process or mm -hmm. you could just stumble upon it because you're just tinkering, you're just messing around. Right. So yeah, it is very capable. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm not the best sewer out there, you know? Um, but whenever you have a, um, a decent vision of something and you can sew fairly well, then you can get it to the people who can really knock it out of the park, right. you know? Yeah. Um, like the, the, the company that makes our fast pack, for instance, it's just, it blows me away every time I look at one. Cause then I look at every once in a while, I'll see Greg or Ernie wearing one of the original three. Cause they, uh, well, Andy May has one and then Greg and Ernie have the other two. And I see, I see them cause they wear them in the airports and travel and everything. And I see it and I'm like, Oh my gosh, bleh, that's so ugly. <laughs> it's such, so terrible. You know, uh, cause I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking at my stitching and the work, you know, on some places. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, uh, you get that into the hands of the people that can really, really do a good job on it. Well, you said about a skill set and another skill set that you have that you've kind of been, you took your buck with this past year shooting with a longbow. Yeah. So, um, I guess probably a lot of people don't out there don't know. Um, I've, I've spent more seasons at this point in my life hunting with trad gear mm -hmm. than I have compounds. Um, I've basically been hunting traditional for the last 20 years or so, um, with a, just a few seasons of compound hunt, you know, mixed and peppered in there in between. Um, you know, and it was, uh, it's funny because I went from, uh, let's see, North, North Dakota. When I made that terrible shot on that buck 2021, I think I hunted with, uh, some ILF recurves that year. And then, um, uh, or yeah, 2020, what was it? 20, what was it? With that, it was buck? 20, that buck was 20, 20, 20, I can't remember. Yeah. 
Was that 20? I think it was 20. 20. Yeah, 20. Okay, yeah. So 21, I hunted all season with a Matthews V3. You know, I killed five deer with that thing. And I had a blast doing it. But um, my heart is just in trad gear. It just is. And so I, uh, and I've simplified my, my trad hunting setups. I shoot just one piece, um, just longbows now, just wooden, wooden longbows. Now, granted, they're, they're pretty high end, you know, I mean, some of these warriors now are just amazing mm-hmm. with their designs and the materials they're using and stuff. They're not the longbows of, you know, 20, 30 years ago at all. Um, but it's just that stick and that string. My, my, like my Tolkien Pika that I killed both my bucks with this year, it's a 54 inch bow, 43 pounds, uh, draw weight, um, with, uh, my quiver and four arrows in it, the 500 plus grain arrows, it weighs two pounds. It's silly. It's <laughs> just, it silly. weighs two freaking pounds fully loaded. And if I want to throw it down the leaves, I can, yeah. and I get worried about knocking my side off you know, or, or bit in a cam or anything like that. Uh, so it's a joy to absolute joy to carry around the woods. Yep. You know, yep. And, I just can't phantom myself. I mean, I, I would probably, I would need to have that bug of being like, okay, Jeremy, if you come to Missouri, you, and you hunt, you are, are only like, you would have to give me a rule. Like you can only take out one of my longbows. That's how I probably could see myself <laughs> like getting the bug for that. Just because I, I love shooting or just archery in general. Right. So, uh-huh. but I do like, and this is so people that are individuals that have been shooting trad and for so long, but like, I have a, I like shooting with my classes. Like we have the, just a normal, uh, uh, the, the, youth Matthews bows that, that people, you know, the, uh, I'm having a brain fart for the program that they naps, like the NASP bows, like in schools and stuff like that. We just use yeah the Genesis bows. Like I love just shooting them traditionally with like, you know, just bring them back and there's no sight on them and certain, Mm -hmm. certain ones do, but you know, I shoot it like that. And I almost feel like that form allows me to like calm down and shoot my compound bow better because I'm not just like, figuring out where my anchor point is and going through my steps. Like I could kind of just like calm down a little bit. So, but in a heat of a moment and going out hunting with one, I think it would be really cool. And I know some people, you know, that was like a phase, the last, like a fad to do the last couple of years for certain people. But like you said, you've been doing it for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. Like that's awesome. Yeah. And it's, um, it's funny because, you know, I, I, you know, I've shot plenty of compounds, had, had plenty of them. And, um, the shot process with a trad bow is so much simpler yeah. to me. Um, I've got a, I've got a, th- a three stage mantra that I tell myself in my head when I take a shot, um, it point, pull, hold, that's it. Mm-hmm. Point, pull and hold. And then the release just happens, you know? Yeah. And, uh, that, that's it. You know, there's no looking at bubbles and, you know, finding, you know, stuff, you know, um, and I'm a little unorthodox in some of the things that I do, but, and I think a lot of people who have shot trad gear for, for decades would be able, would probably agree that once you reach a certain point in your traditional journey, um, you've, you're kind of hardwired in a lot of, in a lot of ways where you can put that bow down for um, a while, you know, a month, 
month and a half, you get really stupid busy and you don't have time to shoot and then go pick it up. And within, you know, a 30 minutes, you're back on track, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, but, and that's, that's just speaking from my own personal experience, but I know, I know a lot of new people getting into the, into the trad game, you know, it's, it's just repetitive, repetitive, you know, just trying to do, get, find your personal form, your personal style, and then repeat it yeah. every single time. Um, but and that's, that's part of the fun too, you know, with, uh, with the stick and the string is, you know, there's, there's no mechanical advantage there, uh, both in the bow and your, in the, the hand. Um, it's all on you. It, it really is. Uh, I think, I think one of the things that really, uh, I really, really just kind of, like I said, shooting trads is in my heart, you know, it's just, uh, uh above and beyond anything else is that when I started, um, basically when I first put a self-imposed range restriction on myself, mm-hmm. you know, I freaking bombed that shot in North Dakota, a shot I just, I should have never taken, you know, but I was comfortable with that shot in my own yard, but things change and get out in, in the world. Right. And I think I mentioned it on, on one of the videos from this year. Um, you know, I operate with, I try to with 15 yards and end, um, I kind of don't even want to take a shot at 20 yards, but like 17 ish, I'm comfortable, you know, pretty much all the time. So if you, if you, um, if you think of it as whenever you leave your vehicle and you're heading in the woods and you know that your world is, is 20 yards and in or less, nothing exists outside of that bubble. If you just tell yourself that and you already accept it, you're going to have a blast, an absolute blast. And, um, I mean, most, I've had, I have so many encounters, you know, I shot that first buck at 12 yards. I shot my second buck at six yards. I shot a doe on new year's Eve. She was right. She was right at 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, just pretty much drilled them all. And yeah. I'm not the best shot, but whenever you're so comfortable inside of that range, it just happens. Right. You know, uh, and it, it's just like anything else. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I love that up close and personal experience. I love the feel of the bow. I love seeing my arrow. I love watching the flight of, of a trad arrow Yeah, because it's going slow enough. You can see it, you right, know? Right. So talk, I guess, mention about how like over the last three years, you've kind of had to change things because, you know, back in 2020, you felt comfortable at 30 shooting the backyard. And like you said, you, you, you still, you got that buck, you know, you made a bad shot, but you still recovered that deer. And then the next year you go back to a compound shooting the V3. And like you said, you pile up a couple mm-hmm. deer. Did you give yourself any restrictions on that? And then now this year, like you said, and you did, you said it on your Missouri uh, video where you're like, you were actually were shooting uh, at a target. And you're like, you know, you brought up about wounding that buck and then recover him. And you're like, I'm going to be 20 and in, you know, 15 and in, um, like you said. So, you know, what, change like how like maybe mentally or getting into the woods you know in years past you would have been x amount of yards away from a trail or a scrape or something along those lines how has the last three years kind of maybe changed for you in that well so i was a little bit gun shy after i after i had that that deal with the North Dakota buck um, with the trad bows. That's probably subconsciously. That's probably one of the reasons I hunted with the compound for the following season. Um, I just, that kind of spooked me a little bit. 
And, but then I found out every, all those deer I shot, the farthest one was 28 yards. All the rest of them were under 20, I think. And, um, it, it, it and I even my, even my compound bow, I kept it stupid, simple, no stabilizers whatsoever, a straight up whitetail kill bow, no stabilizers, a three pin fixed sight, 20, 30, 40. That's it. Um, I was shooting a, 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 a knock to it release. Uh, the most complicated thing that was on my bow was the, that Matthews integrated rest. That was it. Um, again, you know, just kept it simple. Yep. Um, and then just the bow practically shot itself. But I think, so that showed me right there that I didn't need to be trying to kill these deer out at, you know, at, at these long yards and stuff, because I was finding that most of my shots were happening fairly tight. Okay. But one of the benefits that, uh, I think, uh, I also, that, that kind of happens and you develop when you go to trad gear or you trad hunt enough is that, uh, you become a better woodsman hands down. You're forced to become a better woodsman. It happens because no longer can you just hop up in this tree knowing that you can kill anything 40, 45 yards around you. Right. You're like, and especially now that I've closed my bubble even tighter than even a lot of trad hunters, I'm like, man, I need, I want this 12 yard shot. I want this 13 yard shot. And so you're really, really forced to look at things closer. You get inside that, that, that fresh sign, you know, and it's a bubble this big. And then you, then you have to get in again and again, you're breaking it down, really, really breaking it down to fine tune. And I can't tell you, Jeremy, how many times I've been out, especially on a morning hunt. And I walk in and I get to where I want to hunt. You've done it. I know you have, everybody has, you got your headlight on and then you start doing this. And you're looking, you walk over this tree, you look at it, and you look down at the trail. No, and you go, next thing you know, you've spent 25 minutes. It's gray light. You've stopped under 10 trees. You've scattered your ground scent all over the place. And then you finally get up in a tree and you're still second guessing whether you made the right choice or not. <laughs> exactly. So. Welcome to my yeah, life. Yeah. Every time I go out in the woods. <laughs> I yeah. want like because that's the one piece that I've wanted to grow as a hunter this past season with, and I felt like, you know, I, when I talked to Zach Farrenbaugh over the summer, and I had a chance to talk to him on the, our podcast, and I loved his idea over the summer because he's like, I go, Zach, I know you're out in Colorado. How much whitetail stuff are are you doing anymore, uh, as far as like to get ready for the season? And he's like, zero. You know, he's putting a lot of time going out glassing, finding elk and, and stuff like that. And then when the whitetail hunts come, he just goes and finds that most recent, you know, the most recent sign that he on these hunts. And that's what the thing that he said, though, that really kind of resonated with me is he goes, I don't like going out. If he goes, if I go out, say, in uh, Kansas in july because i know i'm going to kansas say in the fall he goes i don't want to go scout an area maybe put a camera or mark all these waypoints and feel like i have to be married to that spot you know and that's something that like for me like i scouted a bunch of different areas and i found some good sign i found some good deer and i was able to get on certain deer this year but i allowed it to like put me in the right area but then like you said how could i get tailor that down to that core spot where these deer are going to be. And there were a couple instances where I I did do that. It just maybe was not the right deer or uh, the timing or the closer 
did not happen basically. So there were things that I know I did improve on, but there's things that now I'm like super excited for already for next year. Like I always feel like that day after our season closes here in Pennsylvania, I'm like, all right, I'm even more excited for next year already. And then I, I talked to my dad, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, this is going to be so long until October ends again. But yeah, that is, it's just yeah. interesting to hear how you have to break yours down because like you said, this shot needs to be 20 yards or less. And that's, that's like, right. I would almost like to even put that on for a challenge, even if I shoot a compound bow, because I mean, you're giving yourself at least uh, a better opportunity as well, like to be in there and be close range yeah. and, and put a good shot, like make yourself put a good shot on a deer. Well, when you, and you saw how excited I was in that, that video, you know, I, I, I center punched that buck's heart. And once you do that and you do that with trad gear, you want to do that every, every time. single time. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to kill, to kill, to shoot deer with, with traditional gear. But then when you start, I mean, pinwheeling them under that, that stressful situation, um, it's just, it takes it to a whole new level, yeah. you know? And um, I'm very much a almost exclusively a, a freelance hunter. Um, I'm kind of like Zach, I don't go scout miles and miles, you know, in the spring, stuff like that. Um, I won't even set foot in the woods until it's time to go hunt. And then I just start, I mean, granted, I, you know, my area where I live, I kind of know where to go, where to start, Mm -hmm. but I hunt that hottest, freshest sign I can find. And, you know, generally that's going in on an afternoon hunt when you can see and kind of put the whole picture together. And then, um, if, if it's really good, if it looks really bucky, you know, like, okay, there's, there's a, a buck really using this. Then whenever I rappel down out of the tree that evening, I leave my rope because I'm coming right back there in the morning, you right. know? Right. Um, or if the wind's going to shift a little bit, I already have my tree picked out, you know? So it's, it's freelance, but then like, you know, I might come in and hunt it the next morning in the dark, but I already, I already know the situation. Yeah. So when you, when you look at that in those situations, what are maybe some key things that you key in on when you go into those areas are you looking for like a you know like a specific edge to certain vegetation like distance maybe from food cover like what are certain things that like you're you're kind of honing in on i i had if i had one thing to pick that that, um and you know you're i'm gonna be 48 this year and i just really kind of learned this just over the last uh year and i got the hunting public guys to thank for it. screening cover. My world revolved around screening cover this year. Um, and the definition of screening cover is a, a place a buck can bed. I mean, it's like this, you know, a buck can, can bed in there. He can see out of it, but you can't see into it. And once I started really honing in on screening cover and then getting, finding that screening cover in the right, um, uh, geography and stuff like that then i was really really starting i was able to get on a lot more bucks just bucks in general not giants or anything like that just bucks in general um that was my number one thing uh that i was looking for this season and then number two would be thermals Mm, i don't give a rip what i don't care what the wind direction says it's going to be that day it, on on X or whatever hunting app you may use, it may show the wind is completely wrong for a spot that you want to go hunt. But you can play the thermals and win. You know, um, hunt those marginal winds where you can be, you know, get that get that hunt that place that you probably shouldn't be hunting, right. but you can tweak your setup just a little bit and 
you know, like you may be dropping the milkweed and it's going just like this. It's, it's called the marginal wind or marginal thermal. Basically what it is, is it's, it's beneficial to the buck that's going to be traveling through there, but it's beneficial to you to be hunting there. But you're living on the edge. Basically yeah. the buck may actually have like a 60% advantage and you have a 40%. So like you can kill him right here. But if he takes five steps there, he's got yeah. you, Yeah, you know, that type of thing. Yep. And um, yeah, I, I love doing that. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so much fun. I like um, that screening cover. Just, man, you bring up that terminology. Now I'm just going back to certain spots, like either kicked up deer during certain times of, uh, you know, maybe drives during rifle season and just seeing like what the heck that deer was doing laying there. And then even certain spots where I think, in the fall, like during archery season where some of these deer were bedding it, that makes perfect sense because on certain entryways that a human could come, like you can you cannot see through these spots and you, you know, scouting mm -hmm. and you work your way through and you're like, wow, look at the size of this bed and market. But then it's like, man, they could see us coming, but they, we cannot see them. And that's, that's a really good tidbit. Yeah. I like that Carl. Um, you know, not to, not to backtrack a little bit, but I was just thinking like when, when, cause you talked about center punching, uh, your, your in the heart with, with your buck this past year, when it comes to your arrow setup, what are you doing? Cause you said, Oh, it's over 500 grains, but like, have you kind of, you found your, your, your golden arrow and, and what you like, and then that's what you kind of continuously use and build. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, over the years, you know, I, 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 ha I shot some 55 pound trad bows, you know, um, and I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's, there's some camps out there that say the he shoot the heaviest bow that you can comfortably and accurately shoot. And I can shoot heavier bows than what I'm shooting, but I'm not having near as much fun and I'm not near as accurate with them. I have three long bows now. Every single one of them is 42 or 43 pounds. Um, uh, the, the little Tolki Pike is 54 inches. And then I've got a prototype A&H uh, bow. It's 58 inches. And then I've got a Tolki Whistler that's 58 inches. That's another thing hunting from a saddle. Um, the shorter your long bow, the better. Like I won't, the longest bow I'll shoot is a 58 inch bow. Okay. Uh, but again, at my self-imposed range limitations, it's just, it's perfect. It's fine. I'm not out there shooting a mile, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so I can be as consistent as I need to be at those, at those ranges. So yeah, 42, 43 pound bows. Um, I'm shooting 500 spine, uh, axis traditional arrows, uh, out of them. And they are, uh, actually all three of those bows, I can shoot the exact same arrow out of all of them. They're nice. all hanging on the wall. They're all strung. I can go, I'll go out there. I may shoot one in the evening. I may shoot all three of them in the evening. Uh, sometimes, you know, I'll be out there if I really want to eat the feel of things. I'll have all three of them laying there and I'll shoot one arrow out of each one of them simultaneously. Cause Trad bows, despite their simplicity, they all have their own personality. They're all just a little bit different. They all feel they all feel a little bit different on the draws, on the draw, on the feel of the shot, the grips, everything. Um, and I really enjoy that aspect of them. But yeah, it's a uh, I, I I've got a I've built all kinds of arrows over the years for for you know trad bows and different weights and stuff. Um, I, I like I like to to go on the heavier side, you know. Uh, I think it breaks down to right at 13 grains uh, per pound of draw weight is what my, my arrow weight comes out to. 
Uh, depending on whether I'm shooting a wide knock or not, it's going to be in that f- between 512 and 525 okay. uh, grain range, which, which when you think of it from a trad bow sense, that doesn't sound very heavy, but keep in mind, these are 42, 43 pound bows, you right. know? So it's, you know, yep. And it's trucking right through a white tail with no problem. Yeah. That's now, if I was going out to hunt an elk in Colorado, I'd pick up a 50 pound bow somewhere and then I'd build a 670, 680 grain arrow for it, you know, and go. Yeah. But for whitetails, I mean, I've proven it, you know, this year, especially you just, you just don't need to, to have those heavy bows. And also what I was able to do on that second buck, uh, there was actually a little debate over this on one of the, the Facebook forums. Go figure, right? <laughs> so, uh, I held that I was able to hold that bow at three quarters draw or full draw for a full minute because he wasn't quite giving me the shot that I was after. Yes. But he was too close at that point to really do a lot of moving around. So what I drew back on him, he was like 16 yards working the scrape, but his, his angle, I didn't like it. So I held a full draw and I got it all on video, a little instant 360 cam. And then I kind of looked to about here and I'm waiting for him to do his thing and just be do what a buck does. And then I finally saw, okay, he's going to come right in front of me. And then I came right back, stopped him six yards, you know, and that was it. Right. But yeah, I'm basically at full draw for almost a minute. You can't do that with, with, if you're overbowed with a trad bow, you just can't, you can't do that. Yeah. That's good. So. I like that. Now here's a, here's a question that when I was talking to someone and they knew you're going to be coming on, I said, you know, what, what kind of questions do you, do you want me to ask? Like, cause I like doing that for just so people could hear maybe something they want to hear that I wouldn't have thought about. You know, they asked, Ask Carl, what is the one thing that he's developed that he's most proud of? Huh. Let me think here. Uh, Boy, you put me on the spot with that one. (laughs) I have to say uh, that I'm most proud of. Probably the Utila Bridge. Okay. That's, um, that was a true hold my beer moment, I think, um, because the, the general consensus uh, in the saddle hunting community at that time was that Am Steel's too slick. Am Steel, it doesn't work for, for, for um, the, as far as the Prusik yep. is concerned, you know. Um, it won't engage and won't hold and all that stuff. And they weren't wrong because am steel is a hollow core rope. It doesn't have a solid core in it, but just by stepping outside the box for a few minutes, um, I figured out I could use itself to create its own core and voila, you know, the utility bridge was, was kind of born and am steel was now an extremely viable material for, in, in my opinion, the ultimate bridge on a saddle yeah. um, for you take that thing from zero all the way up to its full, full length um, and anywhere in between it's light. There's no noise. There's no metal. And, you know, and now the gen two utility bridge is one, one step further. It's the same exact thing. I just made the loops a little longer. So now I can girth hitch it to um, our comfort channel bridges. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, you yeah. went, we went from three points, three points of adjustment with the, the gen one utility bridge. Now you got seven because of the way this thing works. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's probably my, my single thing that 
created that I'm probably probably most proud of, I guess. That's awesome. No, that's cool. Well, you just mentioned the, you know, the new util bridge and now that will be on the lockdown saddle. So people saw that from ATA. I got a chuckle from Taylor when I talked to him uh, this past week because he was like, yeah, we we chatted like that Wednesday before ATA and, and that's when we were like, hey, we're doing it. We're putting it out there. Um, so I thought that was... Oh, <laughs> I could only imagine what, what stress was, you, yeah, there you go. I could only imagine what kind of stress uh, you were under. I was so stressed, man. Cause it was, we decided to do it and I had different saddles scattered around the shop in various degrees of completion. Some <laughs> close and some not close at all. And literally I finished, I finished sewing threw everything in a box, hopped in the forerunner and left for any, I mean, it was like that tight, you know, because I had to have a certain amount of, I think I took seven saddles or something like that to ATA. Uh, it was, or six, I can't remember what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, they're, when you're doing them all yourself, it takes a minute to get them done. And I was yeah. stressing because, Oh crap, we're going to launch this thing. And I personally, I felt good about it. I'd been using it you know, and I was just loving this thing, loving it. And I was nervous. I was probably, I was more anxious going to this ATA and introducing the lockdown than I was with the phantom. Okay. Um, I mean, I was, I was nervous and me and Greg did that quick introduction video. And we just kind of threw it in everybody's faces the night before ATA opened. And, um, by the end of the next day, I was feeling pretty good about it because the response was 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 really overwhelming. And to some degree, especially doing what I do, um, I inevitably I work in a vacuum sometimes um, to where you don't have a, I don't have a sounding board right here in front of my face. You know, uh, me and Greg and Ernie and Taylor and Jared, we all we all discuss things, you know, uh, quite a bit. But so, sometimes you don't you know, they get busy doing their side of things and I kind of, I'm kind of doing my own thing. So a lot of doing my own thing went into this lockdown. And so I was like, gosh, I hope everybody likes it. (laughs) And uh, it was, uh, I was, I was a wreck, dude. It was bad. It was, (laughs) this is something different for us. Yeah. When I saw that video of you and Greg doing the introductory video of that, like just that quick eight minute, uh, at, at the ATA show from the night before just seeing, just because I do know you on, on that personal level, I saw how genuinely excited you were and just kind of also like, this is it. Like, like, I don't know, like I, like someone watching it, I think could be like, wow, they're so excited. They're, he's so yeah. proud. And I'm like, he is, but I also know Carl and I'm like, it's going to go over. I know knew it was going to go over really well, but I knew you're like, Oh shit. <laughs> I was wound tighter than an eight day yep. clock. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was, uh, I was excited, but I was just going, Oh my gosh. You know, uh, yeah, cause there, there's, there's some legit, there's a lot of legitimate competition out there in the saddle world. You know, there's some good, good stuff out there. And, uh, you know, everybody's always trying to, to evolve, you know, this game. And yeah, I was, I was nervous. 
Yeah, I was nervous. <laughs> I'm excited for it because I would say this past year, I don't know, I like being close to the tree. You know, I think in years past, if you would say like, Jeremy, are you a leaner or a sitter? I probably would say I'm 50-50, but I know for the last two years, I'm more of a sitter. I like being kind of tucked close to the tree. I like uh, the way I could kind of maneuver my knees into the tree to make different various shots uh, and and make them work. Um, So, you know, once you say, and and there there are times where I am sitting and I'm like, man, I wish I could have kind of like the, like a, you know, like how you have that extra loops on that, that you could pull down. And I'm like, man, it would be really cool if we had loops here that I could just kind of just push without really standing up and, and doing that. And there you go. You and included that. And now that also was going to pleated saddle is going to, you know, cover more, butt, which is great. So yeah, just some really cool things as a sitter that I cannot wait until the outdoor show. If one will be there just for people to see or try on, I'm kind of like selfishly hope there's yeah. will be one just cause I want to get in it. And cause Bobby, Bobby too was yeah. like, dude, this sucker's comfortable. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and I was one thing I was doing at this, at this, uh, ATA show, uh, was I was really, really quizzing everybody that sat in it, especially the people that you know, you know, that you have a relationship with and you know are like, you know, very seasoned saddle hunters. Okay. Um, they, uh, you know, like, I think Zach Owsley, he was one of the guys that actually said, you know, when you've been in enough saddles and you've done it enough, you don't need a week in a saddle. You can sit in one for five minutes and know. You know if it's going to be, com- if you're going to like it, if it does what it's supposed to do, if you're, you know, if you're comfortable. And, um, he's, he's exactly, he's exactly right. You know, if you've been in all of them basically, and you've been in the game for any time at all, you know, really quick if, if it's, if it's a comfortable saddle or not. So, and that's, that's one of the things I, I did whenever I was, uh, coming up with the profile before the lockdown, man, I got scrap saddles and templates and stuff just scattered all over the place because i kept tweaking it kept tweaking it i got a post in the garage with a tether on it i go hook into it like i I'd, I'd literally i whip up a saddle body just the body really quick just so i could hang in it and i'd sit there and i'd feel it and i'm like okay i need to i need to take a little bit more off here change this arc do something you know yeah, yeah. and uh just kept going through all those iterations like that and yeah here we go um one thing about the lockdown that I know a lot of people were looking at sideways was the pockets on it. They're like, what is that? You know, cause it's a, that is a far cry away from anything that's been done mm-hmm. in the saddle community. And you know, like, like we mentioned that video, we didn't, and we didn't invent the expanding bottles body saddle, you know, arrow hunter did that several years ago. Uh, we we tried to make it make better. better, but there's right. pockets. Um, people see that and, and it's very, um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it's they look enormous. Now they are big, but it's like when the saddle's laying flat on the floor, you're like, oh my gosh, these things are so huge. But then whenever you put it on or you see it on somebody, you're like, oh, they're not as big as I thought. Right. You know, they're perfect. You reach down, true one-handed operation with those zippers and that internal frame. Mm-hmm. They are money, man. They're money. Absolute money. We got those the three eighths inch. Um, well, I got mine right here. If I can get it. You know, we put the, those uh, three eighths inch uh, uh, grommets in the bottom of the pockets. You can see right here. I've, so I've got a Doyle's gear hoist. It just lives inside the main pouch. So it's right there. You know, I've got thirty foot of of line with my my grappling hook. 
with a little S-beaner on it. That's how I recover my main line. Well, I fish my bow up with it. I let my bow down, and then I recover my main rappel line. Um, it's all right there. And it's just uh, – I, I, I vetted these pockets, like, early, early, early. Um, I first put those on a, on a Phantom. And just to see, okay, is this concept going to work? Right. Are they going to work as well as I think they're going to work? And, um, yeah, I love those things. Absolutely love them. I like them because I've gone – like our pack, our fast pack is, I've said it to you when uh, the prototype I saw and I was like, that is the end all be all for as far as like a whitetail pack goes. And I'm, I'm wrapping up my video for it. And the one thing that I've having people on the podcast over the last year, a lot of them talked about minimizing just everything they bring into the woods, right? Like, like less is more. And those individuals that are saddle hunters, you throw in, like, I don't know how many more individuals I talk to that are just using our predator packs, like getting our, um, our bat, like our backpack straps and using those. And then maybe a couple really kind of stash in their, uh, sis haulers. But now with those pieces, like that is f- like that realm of individuals that want to have that less is more my gosh, like you need that. And like how you have yeah. your system set up for it. That is all you need. Yeah, there's. Um, and in a lot of parts of the country, you're not going to have to throw a backpack on until right. the rut. Right. If you don't want, I mean, you know, you can, you know, I can throw, I can throw a puffy in one of these pockets and I still have room for everything else. Right. Um, just, just the, the way those pockets lend themselves, the, the design of them. So like, well, here's a perfect example. So this one's fully loaded. This is, this has got all my, my, my stuff in it. So that's fully loaded. I've got, you know, a 30, a 30 foot piece of offlux in here with all my repelling gear, uh, linesmen that doils and just other his strap miscellaneous stuff. And you can see there's, they're not, they don't stick out that far from no. the saddle body. It's nope. because we went bigger this way, you know, but if you don't want to have haul all that stuff, so here's one that's completely empty and the look at, look at how skinny, Yes. That pocket is, Extreme. you know, so you can, you can load them up or not load them up. And yes, it's a big pocket, but it's not, you yeah. know, where it matters. Right. You know, so they're just, they, they just function so freaking well. It's pretty awesome. That's exciting. And we said what the spring, summer, hopefully if all things go well. <sighs> Yeah, early summer is what we're shooting for. Somewhere around June one. Nice. That's exciting. Yep. That's awesome. What yep. um what did you try this year other than maybe some things that you've done on your own? Uh anything else for this past hunting season that you gave a whirl and that surprised you that you liked it or did not like or something along those lines? Well, you could even be clothing, any anything along those lines. Um well, I think I, I'm, I'm a gear junkie like a lot of us. Yeah. Um, I did I, I did figure out that I have um, uh, too many hunting clothes. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Last year, I, I found that I, there was only like four or five pieces that I really, really used a lot. Um, you know, I started um, started playing around with a lot of uh, fleets stuff, and um, really enjoyed using that. Um, I still run some first light stuff too, but um, I, I don't. I don't know. I, last year, I just kind of, I kind of did me, I guess, you yeah. know, and, yeah. um, I don't, I just had a really, really good year. Yeah. Um, I just, I was happy. 
I was happy to be there. Um, every, every set I had, I was just, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, you know, I've been single sticking for a, for a while now. Um, so I didn't really change anything in that setup other than with the, uh, lock and run that Doyle's inside there. Yeah. I don't have to, I don't have to figure out my recovery rope now because it just retracts right back in whenever I, whenever I pop my main line loose and it falls to the ground, it just zips right up into that Doyle's. I just <laughs> unhook so it and, and, and roll on, you know? Yep. Yeah, it's. I didn't think I could get that system any more efficient, but I did. I was able to do that that one little nugget. Yep. You know, it's get it where you can, right? Exactly. Oh man, that's that's awesome. And then, you know, to kind of wrap things up, like we said, this we'll be gearing up for the Great American Outdoor Show. I know, um, you, like you said, I know last year we were at a ton of different events, t- Total Archery Challenge and other shows in various states. And I know, we'll, you know, what we have on our website right now for tethernation.com, we have, you know, where we'll be at the Iowa Deer Classic and uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania Total Archery Challenge. But you're not in charge of those shows anymore, like you said, like you used to be. Um, but you, you, I know the last time that we talked, you might be in Harrisburg for a couple days. Um, not sure when you'll be. And so hopefully, selfishly, I get a chance to see you there on on one of the weekends but if you're going to be during the week um just if you see carl anybody just come over say hi listen if you enjoyed this podcast he's even uh more awesome in in person and you get to see that passion and and everything that he has so you know we'll be at the american outdoor show for the full stint come over to the booth uh you'll be able to get in the new lockdown saddle like carl said and if it's your first time in a saddle uh we'll be all i'll be there to kind of help you run you through of the various saddles that we do have um so carl anything else before we we wrap up man um, no, not really. Just to kind of to go along with what you were just finishing up with is absolutely, if, if you can, and, and you've never sat in a saddle or you're thinking about it, these, these shows, these retail shows and different events where, I mean, you can, you can go sit in a saddle and try it and talk to people like Jeremy and, and the other guys with Tethered who are there, you will literally cut your learning curve down to like almost nothing just because of the embodiment of information that's available at those events. Um, it's amazing. I mean, you can get it from the guys who been there, done that, and they can keep you from making those dozen mistakes that, you know, a lot of people make just, just going in head first without any type of, like uh, I made (laughs) a firsthand. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people do, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's funny. You every year it's, it's a, you're, you, 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 figure out ways to make things simpler for you personally or refine your own gear. That's part of the fun, especially of saddle hunting. I think is that it's, we're all gear junkies in some form or fashion. And we're all trying to be as high speed, low drag as we can possibly be. And, and that's part of the fun is just always tweaking, always modifying, always tinkering. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Awesome, Carl. Well, thank you so much for for coming on. I greatly appreciate it, and uh, it, it's about time I had you on for three years, man. It's, it, it finally happened. So, <laughs> so thank there you. you. There you go. All right, Carl. Um, where could people, you know, I guess follow along at, at Tether Nation, see, find you on videos and and all that stuff. Yeah, we've got uh, our Tether Nation YouTube channel. Uh, all kinds of of uh, good content on there, uh, especially from, you know, you get to see us hunt and, and screw things up and stuff like that. But we've always been really big on the educational side of things. 
and with saddle hunting. So you'll find a lot of good nuggets of information on there regarding saddle hunting in general, you know, that um, can really help you out. So yeah, the YouTube channel, um, obviously our website, tethernation.com. We've got some stuff in there. We've got different articles that we've, we've kind of started writing on different topics and, and whatnot. Um, just get a cup of coffee and be ready to go down some rabbit holes. Yeah, absolutely. So. <laughs> absolutely. All right, Carl, who do you have winning the Super Bowl? Dude, I don't watch organized sports. I don't know who's playing. <laughs> you don't even know who's playing. And he lives I'm in Missouri. The, Ca- the Kansas City, <laughs> he's only a couple hours away. From, well, I'm probably, I don't even know exactly from Kansas City how much farther away you are. But the, the Chiefs are playing, so we'll, we'll see what uh, how oh. they do for you. So it could be great chaos. In, is in it, is that not sad? Yeah. yeah, well, no, that's not it, sad. That's sad. No, no, you're all right. <laughs> well, I like it, Carl. All right, buddy. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in this week. We'll see you next week, and we'll see you hopefully at the Great American Outdoor Show. Thanks again, and Antler up.